I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite Lorecast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast lore behind the Mass Effect games. We're back. Welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. It's been a while. We've been on vacation and doing all sorts of other things because the month of December is absolutely crazy, but it is a brand new year, 2024. And oh, and speaking of new things, Sam, uh, we didn't put this in the show notes, but we've got new t-shirts up on the Patreon. They've been That's a- right. We we just designed them. Yeah. They are modeled after some of the corporations in Mass Effect. So yeah. Go take yeah. a look. They're a little late. We could have swapped them out a few extra a few months ago, but that allows people who signed up a little bit later to get the fourth shirt. So I don't feel so bad about that. But four new brand new shirts. If you sign up, get on there. You can get all four shirts this year every three months. So go check out the Patreon if you're interested in that. I think the designs are awesome, but I'm the one who made them. So I'm a little bit biased. But uh, here we are. I'm Tom. This is Sam. We're talking about. Let me see. Let me I'm taking a look at the show notes. Saren. In Mass Effect One, yeah, that he yeah, was in so Mass Effect One. Everyone's was. gonna be like, Tom doesn't play the games. Absolutely, yeah, he was in Mass Effect One. Be- <laughs> yeah, for for reference, uh, before anyone jumps in the angry review mode, Tom's being facetious. I'm being so a joke. <laughs> he's doing the dad thing where he purposefully gets something wrong just to piss you off because it's funny to him. It's true. I've been a dad for a very long time. Um, Yeah. So, so yes, we are talking about Saren and Mass Effect One. You know, two, uh, three, four episodes ago, we went and talked about his tragic origin story with his brother, how he's pretty much always hated humanity, and how he met your artifact. no, uh, we now need to cover the course of his indoctrination. We had gone up to that point. Now he had, he meets Sovereign at the end of Mass Effect uh, Re- Revelation, and now we have to cover you know what happens to him over the course of his indoctrination, and then obviously his ultimate fate. Right. So you can either listen to this episode of the podcast, which will be about an hour long, or you can go play all of Mass Effect One and get the same information. Pretty much. Yeah, this is going to be a Reader's Digest version of Mass Effect 1. (laughs) Basically. All right. So let's get into it because we got to talk about Saren. I'm sure that I'm sure like we normally do, we'll get into some other details that you may have missed if you play through the games or whatever. But here, let's kick us off. Where do we start? Okay, so first, I think we need to talk about Saren's appearance. You know, I try not to when we were talking about the comics because the artwork in the comics isn't really consistent. And when you're talking about a novel like Mass Effect Revelation doesn't have the same kind of punch as depicting someone in a game. Right. So unless unless you're reading graphic novels, but that's the same as a comic book, which wouldn't be a novel. Doesn't don't graphic novels technically have more text? Do they? I guess they do. They're also thicker. In my mind, it's always been just like, oh, here's 12 comics all put into one little, like, one bound thing, right? Like, it's kind of the same thing, but a little bit different. I don't know. 
speaking of analog media, I have a book here next to me, uh, and it was actually a gift from one of the previous patrons of this podcast. It is the Art of Mass Effect book, and my my camera is blurring it out. I don't know why. Because <laughs> you got have, the background I, blur, and it doesn't read it as a face. So here, here we go. Uh, oh, put it close to your go. face. Oh, no. It's there like, we go. It's like, oh, that's not no. a face anymore. It, okay, well, yeah. anyway, it's Aria on the front. And so I'm going to be pulling a lot of details from this book. That's why I'm showing it. Um, very great insight as to the designs and why they chosen to go with the designs that they did for a lot of different characters and races and, and places and, and awesome things in this book. So about Saren, uh, we learn about his appearance and how it changed throughout the development process. Mm -hmm. And, and so I'm going to be putting actually, some of those images up on the screen. So if you are watching on the video version, either in the stream or on the video on YouTube later, then go check it out. You can see some of these images. Yes, and some helpful person must have gotten the digital form of this Art of Mass Effect book because they uploaded them to Reddit. I don't know what their <laughs> username is, uh, but they uploaded these screenshots of Saren's, the design choices for Saren's original or some of his original designs. This one, he's wearing this full body black outfit and it has a type of black cloak covering his back uh, and that extends over his right shoulder. And there's a frontal portion of this cloak that drapes down his chest and it's in front of his legs. Now, I don't really want to call these robes. Would you call them robes, Tom? Uh, it's like an ex it almost looks like an extended vest. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it goes it goes down in the front. You know, it reminds me of almost like priestly, uh, you know, when you have like the thing that they wear around their neck and shoulders that hangs down in the front. It's almost like, like that, like a shawl. Like, yeah, maybe it's called a shawl. It's it's he looks uh, Darth Vader esque with almost more priestly elements. Yeah. Yeah, Fat Batman in chat here on Twitch <laughs> says <laughs> Saren's doing his best Palpatine cosplay. Yeah, very kind, accurate. Kind of similar. Yeah. Yeah. It's all very black. Even his face is all it's all gray and black and colorless. Yes. And it just looks very Sith like as Day uh, here points out in our Twitch chat as well. Looks very Sith like. Think of a Sith Lord. And you have Sith Lord Saren. That that looks like some of Saren's original designs here. And it's not the typical armor that we see in the actual game in Mass Effect 1. This is not what we see. It's very different. You know, and this is what he wears at home when he's relaxing <laughs> and feeling more comfortable. This is his loungewear. <laughs> this is his lounge. Um, maybe it's maybe it's his loungewear, if you know what I mean. Let me slip into something more comfortable, matriarch. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, sexy Saren. Oh, no. Uh, the weird thing is that he's depicted as this, but he's thin and he's gaunt. And I think the fourth slide of that that Reddit post shows exactly the page that I'm talking about here oof, oof. in the art book. Oh, um, yeah. He's thin and he's gaunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there you can see it. He doesn't look strong. Where at the bottom of this page, it shows the final design of Saren in Mass Effect 1. Very strong and heroic looking, right? Yeah, his and, shoulders and, get broader. His uh, his arms are thicker. His legs are thicker. Like, he looks like he actually has muscles. Whereas the, the image at the top is, like, it's creepy. It's almost like his arms and legs are too long. Spindly. Like yeah. a dying tree. Yeah, like, um, like uh, salad fingers. 
<laughs> oh God! <laughs> I My like belly basket. <laughs> I like to touch rusty beacons. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long since I watched Salad Fingers, but what does he call the dolls that he has? Uh, Emily, uh, something, something. Uh, I don't remember. Oh. We'd have to. Somebody's probably. Yelling I don't at know, their, but at their, but imagining anyway. Saren as Salad Fingers is pretty hilarious. Um, <laughs> Saren fingers. So he, I think this, well, it's a joke, right? But it's an accurate joke as to like the, the feeling, the vibe that this design gives off and just how different it is from the Saren that we get to know in the games. Yeah. And the other interesting thing is he looks feeble because he's depicted as using a cane in his left hand. So yeah. it's not just that he's like old and thin, but he looks weak. Right. Which is really weird for a specter. You know, like, how are you going around the galaxy taking out bad guys and fighting the good fight if you got to walk around with a cane? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and the other thing is you, you see this kind of electrical kind of design coming off of his right hand. And we know from the writing underneath that little uh, commentary from the art team that that is supposed to be biotics. He is supposed to be uh, the artists write that. You know, uh, they depicted him, quote, as an older, physically weaker character who still possesses incredibly powerful biotics. Ah, OK. So that's why the cane and all that. But there's also like all these faces like sketched on the side, all these variations of, of his head and his face and the design. That's right. Of, <laughs> like like, uh, I don't know. What's what are those pieces called on? Um, I don't know. The sides of his face. Oh, his mandibles. Yeah. yeah. Mandibles. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and I love those sketches too because they're so they they vary a lot, right? Uh, one of the things that I love about this entire art book is that there are multiple sketches for multiple characters, and it looks like like you can follow the brainstorming process. It's like a string of consciousness, and all are just ideas for how Saren's face should look. None of them are colored in. None of them are finalized, right? And they right. all reflect right. Saren having a wildly different personality type than how we saw him in Mass Effect 1. You know, in Mass Effect 1, we get to meet him and he's this, like, boastful, arrogant, you know, powerful dickhead <laughs> is, <laughs> is who he is. <laughs> um, and yet... A lot of these are different. Like, for example, they have little descriptors written next to the little sketches. There's one of them called the weary general. And that one looks like Saren is tired, but he, he's like worn out, but he's distinguished, you know, uh -huh. and maybe a bit sad. Even I'm not <laughs> like he's the weary general. It, it works pretty well. And then there's also this the quote scared and pissed design. <laughs> or I'm sorry, not scared. <laughs> scared and pissed scared. you're both afraid but also mad i'm really angry but i'm so so ready to get out of here that's not that's not um <laughs> that's not what it says it says scarred and pissed oh, okay uh, i apparently cannot read today uh it so is very it's small it's hard for me to even make it bigger on the on the stream for people to see in detail i, I recommend going and looking up the actual book but what she said oh um, boy. <laughs> which okay so the scarred and pissed design is exactly as it sounds you know half of Saren's face is scarred to hell and back and he kind of looks totally disfigured like the Phantom of the Opera mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. where he might have one of those you know like half half face masks or something like that um, <laughs> uh -huh. and of course he looks pissed off there's also the insane design where Saren is wide-eyed and he looks like he's you know mentally in some other galaxy 
Um, there's the haunted designs, which show him like he has, you know, I've seen some shit, man. Uh, <laughs> and he, it looks like he's going through an episode of traumatic flashbacks, which if you've been through what Saren's been through, you may develop PTSD. So that was an interesting design choice that they went with for that. And then they also have one that just says brutal past. And it looks like he's had a rough upbringing that shaped him into the ruthless asshole that he is today. You know, think think Clint Eastwood meets Danny Trejo. <laughs> okay. Yeah, these yeah. are these are really a, cool. I've got, I've been uh, able to uh, make them a little bit larger on the stream, but it's like it's still low resolution enough that's hard to read the text. But we're doing. I was going to say, do you have here. a favorite design here? Uh, I like the one where he's kind of the bottom left one, where he just looks like a scared ghost. I don't. I can't read oh, what yes. that one says. Yes, that's the insane one. That's the insane one. Yeah, that one's pretty good. Uh, yeah. That one, but they all. Are, are distinct and different. This is what I love about concept art. And I was looking at some other concept art the other day for some other game and the way that you can see the thought process of the creators because they know who the character is or maybe the character is in the in the midst of being written, but they're going through these different design options and actually putting them down on paper so that the team can look at them and go, OK, which one of these feels like the character that we're actually working into the story? And then it ends up focusing down on one of them, right? And then eventually we get the character that we all know and despise. And I think what's so cool is you also see, like, we expect as players that the writing team uh, just kind of sends over an idea for how the character is going to be, if not a complete storyline for him. And then they let the art team go from that. But it's a back and forth, it seems, because... Yeah. It almost seems like the art team influence may have may I don't know this for sure. It it seems like the art team may have influenced Saren's character uh, as like as it's written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I imagine there's some synergy there between yeah. both the writers and the artists and everybody working together over a period of time to really flesh out all of these characters. So uh, we have some other images. Should we jump to those? That's I mean, that's yeah, that's right. So the the artists, you know, they they wrote uh, that they didn't they didn't want Saren to uh, look like most Turians in some aspects, but in other aspects they they did. So they write, we went with the distinctive crest and visible Reaper machinery to reflect his indoctrination in the final design. They went with that. Mm -hmm. um, and this part is interesting to me because there they tried to distinguish Saren from the rest of the Turian population this distinctive crest, you know, on the top of his head. Some one of our listeners actually commented on a YouTube video recently and, and said, you know, are you guys ever going to talk about why Saren has those little things that extend from his cheeks backward? Mm -hmm. Well, now we are yeah. um, on the next page in the art book. The artists show designs of his head with varying jewelry and crests and more. And they say that they went with his final design because they wanted to, quote, allow him to blend into society rather than to be an obvious monstrosity. Well, I mean, it totally makes sense because he's a character that you, at least in the beginning of the game, you're not 100% sure about. So you don't want to be like, oh, well, this clearly looks like a bad guy. And a character that is not just accepted by society, but uplifted by society. Right, right. People see him as a heroic figure, even though he does some terrible things. But that's kind of what you're supposed to do as a specter is make those hard decisions and 
as the story continues on, we start to realize how terrible he actually is. Right. He's feared, certainly, but he's also revered. And, you know, he holds this place of high respect as a specter. Um, and that kind of, you know, this kind of goes back to the early, the early piston scarred design about, you know, allowing him to blend into society rather than to be an obvious monstrosity like they wrote. Well, when you look at the piston scarred design, I'm wondering if an early idea for Saren's character was to have him as that alienated, disfigured veteran archetype you know, mm -hmm. uh, who has come back from war or combat completely disfigured and much like the Phantom of the Opera. You know, that was a allegory for World War One soldiers. Uh, I believe it was World War One. Which war was it? That, uh, that, that that's an allegory. That's actually for. that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that one. Someone that's listening to this will know, but I do know that the Phantom of the Opera was supposed to be an allegory for how many soldiers were coming back from a war and they were very disfigured. They had PTSD, although they didn't call it that then. Right. And then they would go into isolation because they were also rejected from society, from how they looked. Um, but this is all to say that, you know, that if they if they had gone with the piston scar design for Saren, I'm wondering if they had they knew that they would have to commit to making him that quote monstrosity and yeah. they didn't want to do that. Right. Right. Uh, it's a step too far, I guess. I guess you could say. All right. So, OK, by the um, the start of Mass Effect one, he he definitely looks more like an, a warrior. Right. We talked about how we went through these designs where he looks older or more frail. Uh, but we get to this point where he's a warrior. He has armor. He's his facial facial features are. I don't know, more tough, a little bit more masculine, even though he's an alien and he doesn't really have human features. Right. Like that's he looks more macho bird like. Yes. Macho bird. Yes. Yes. <laughs> macho okay. bird. Randy Saren. <laughs> oh, no. All right. <laughs> OK. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that takes us to the very beginning of the game when we meet him. So, you know, we've now gone over the origin uh, art designs uh, and now we get to the very beginning of Mass Effect one when we first we being the player, not not Shepard, but we first see Saren. Here's that scene. Nihilus. This isn't your mission, Saren. What are you doing here? The Council thought you could use some help on this one. I wasn't expecting to find the Geth here. The situation's bad. Don't worry. I've got it under control. Oh, that scene. How? And yep. he's dead. And he, you know? Yeah. Um, so thanks to the Mass Effect world on YouTube for that clip. Um, but yeah, that, that's our first impression of Saren. And you can tell right away that he looks different from all the other Turians. You know, he's got those distinctive crests on the sides of his head, on the top of his head. And there's the unmistakable evidence of cybernetic implants. Right. In Saren. Right. Um, the interesting thing was there's a mod called Saren Stages mod where if you play on PC, you might want to download this mod. It institutes a complete change from how Saren looked in the very from the very beginning of the game through the end of the game. And, it, and you start off in the very beginning of Mass Effect one with Saren in those black robes from the concept art. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And then throughout the game, he becomes more and more cybernetic because he's accepting more and more Reaper tech into his body. Right. And there's even dialogue that's written that kind of supports that uh, and, and was already included in the game. So 
Great mod if you're interested in lore-friendly stuff. I highly recommend that one. Um, but yeah, that's our first impression, that clip that we played. Um, <laughs> talk about setting off on the wrong foot. Yeah, I mean, he, he clearly comes out of the gate like, oh, shooting another guy in the back of the head. Totally. But then you go back to the scenes with at the Citadel and like people are trusting him and he seems trustworthy. So I totally get why he didn't look like a Sith Lord from the beginning. And that mod totally makes sense, because in the early parts of the game where people are still trusting him, he seems trustworthy, like he, he looks like kind of a regular Turian still. Right. But then that progresses and. That's cool. It's a, that's a really cool idea for a mod. Yeah, no, I, I, I have played with the mod and it's striking because his eyes are also a different color. In the very beginning, his eyes are yellow uh-huh. and they're a piercing yellow. And you have Saren in these robes and you're like, oh, OK, this guy looks a little intimidating, but kind of harmless, you know? Right, um, right. And then he pulls the gun. You're like, whoa. Um, So I wonder how the reception would have been different if that had been the original uh, choice from Bioware. But, you know, that's how we see Saren. Regardless, he pulls out the gun and he shoots Nihilus uh, in the back of the head. Absolutely ruthless um, to our poor little beloved Nihilus, uh, who people really love. He's very popular (laughs) for being so shortly in the game. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Right. Yeah. And he has questionable morality that we don't I mean, we don't learn about until later, but he we learn that he's not really a great guy anyway. And people still really love him. But whatever. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, right after that, Saren instructs the Geth that are with him to destroy Eden Prime and leave no trace of the beacon. You know, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Shepard eventually touches the beacon and we will get to how Saren takes this after the mid break. All right. Let's go. Thank our patrons. We'll be right back. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, a anniversary diamond orb gear a bunch of other items it is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code maxpool m-a-x-p-o-o-l maxpool don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to marvel strike force for sponsoring this episode message coming in patching it through i am sovereign and this lore cast is mine i like the sound of that All right. Here we are in the middle of the show. Thank you, everybody, for your support. Thank you for sticking with us for as long as you have and for being here today. This is the place where we get to thank our patrons. And we have some new ones that have signed up uh, over over the break. Um, Hopefully I'm not repeating anybody. But if I am, you get two call outs. Uh, Raquel L. Hannah L. Connor uh, Evil S, I think is how you pronounce that. And Kim W. Thank you for signing up. Welcome to the Patreon. Thank you for your support. We're so glad that you are here. Also, we have to shout out our Shepherd tier patrons, Kolkashins, Edboy, Kiracy, Lieutenant Tusino, and William. Thank you so much for your support as well. And to all 65 of our current patrons, 
Thanks for being here. If you are interested in getting ad free episodes, some of those new T-shirts, stickers, those designs are stickers as well. If you don't want to go all the way up to the T-shirt tier or joining us on future chats, any of that stuff, head over to patreon.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast to check everything out. Also, Sam, we've got some really nice reviews that have come in over the break. Let's take a minute and go through them. People like to write a lot, so I'll try to read these as quick as I can. This one is from Riley Twilly in the United States. He writes, great source of lore. After my most recent playthrough of the trilogy, I decided I wanted more Mass Effect content. I ended up stumbling upon this podcast and it's been great. Sam is super knowledgeable and Tom is a great host. I love the connections to our real world. I've been binging the show for a couple of months now and I'm almost caught up. Looking forward to catching the show live before long. Well, thank you so much, Riley. This one comes from The Wandering Turian, who writes, uh, also from the United States, uh, best podcast in the Milky Way. Been listening from the beginning. The chemistry between hosts Tom and Sam is incredible. Their ability to convey the lore while also breaking it up and making it fun with little side tangents and jokes makes it nice to listen to while at work on a busy day. The number of times my bosses looked at me I, like I was a madman because I was laughing so much in the funny comments and jokes. Seriously, these guys do a great job explaining the lore of the galaxy. I've been a fan of the trilogy since I discovered Mass Effect 2 and played it multiple times. I thought I knew about a lot, but uh, these guys have proved me wrong. I have learned so much while about it while listening. Great job, guys. Keep it up. Keila Salai. Thank you so much, Wandering Turian. And then one more from Dr. Dax9, also in the United States, who writes, this podcast is a blast. Oh, I finally caught up on all the episodes and figured it was time to write a review. A friend recommended Mass Effect to me years ago, but it wasn't until recently that I had a system I could play it on. After playing the Legendary Edition for the first and second time, I went looking for a lore podcast I could listen to. Certainly, uh, certain that one must exist. This was exactly what I was hoping to find. Fun and informative. I would definitely consider this a must listen for Mass Effect fans. I'm now on my third playthrough and first modded playthrough, and it's cool to have more of the lore I've learned from this podcast in the back of my mind while playing. I've also picked up the novels and comics and have started on those, and I'm really enjoying them. Thank you, Tom and Sam, for a great and obviously passion-filled podcast. Thank you to all of you for all of your support. Thank you for all these reviews, for rating the show on Spotify and all those other platforms, for sharing with your friends like some of these people. All of that is extremely helpful. We really do appreciate it. All right, let's move on with the rest of the show. Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. Another hand touches the beacon. Oh, wait, that's a different <laughs> game series. Uh, so how does Saren know that Shepard touches the beacon? Meridia. No, uh, it's not Meridia. <laughs> it's, it's a Daedric uh, Prince from Elder Scrolls. Cool. I actually don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to be straight up with you. I don't know how Saren knows definitive, definitively that Shepard touches the beacon um, at the very early part of the game. His companion and maybe lover, I'm not entirely sure about whether Matriarch Benezia and Saren were lovers. Uh, it, it, it feels like it strongly hints at it, but I don't think it ever tells us verbatim. I might be wrong about that. If I am, someone tell me. But I'm sure somebody's got Matriarch art out there that uh, makes it a little bit more obvious. Mm, yes, I'm sure. There are, there are more than a few Saren Mancers, by the way. I've seen them on Twitter. They scare me. But they, they, <laughs> so Venezia tells uh, Saren while they are flying aboard Sovereign that the Normandy was there at Eden Prime and specifically that it's commanded by Captain Anderson. This is interesting mm -hmm. that Venezia would think to bring this up because... This is information that Saren would want to know. Hey, that ship is commanded by Captain Anderson. 
but you, if you think about it, Benezia would have to know Saren's background to know that he would want to know that it was Anderson's ship. Yeah, we talked Otherwise, about we talked about how they already knew each other and all of that on the previous episodes. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you know, who cares about some random alliance captain? Right. But Benezia apparently knows that Saren would care, implicating that they have confided in each other some, at least something about their backgrounds. And typically, Saren is very tight lipped. Yeah. Well, that totally makes sense. I mean, I, I think you, yeah. that that's a very easy sequence to pull together. Otherwise, why even have that dialogue? Right. Um, and, but what's truly interesting here in this scene is that Saren only loses his temper, not after Benezia tells him that it was a human vessel and not that it was Anderson's. No, that's not what pisses him off. Uh, not that they even saved the colony or necessarily that they took the beacon intact. What really pisses Saren off is that a human may have touched the beacon. May. May. Benezia says Shepard or one of the humans may have touched the beacon. And he rages. He's like, <laughs> he just fucking throws shit around. And then he grabs Benezia's face in a very weird way that I, I don't, it's cringe, honestly, at this point. But <laughs> it's like he grabs her face and it's like, why are you the way that you are? Um, and then he kind of lets go. So we're taught very early on that Saren is emotionally unstable. Yeah, that seems pretty obvious. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. He he's the kind of dad to take his kid to Chuck E. Cheese and give him two tokens and say that's what you get. And when the kid is <laughs> you know visibly upset, he like you know uh, screams at the kid and then threatens violence and be like a totally rational person fine i tried to do something nice we're just gonna go home then that kind of thing yeah. exactly yeah yes mm -hmm. yes uh and so yeah this is kind of scary from saren because this is still at the very beginning of the game and it's scary how he flips between raging psycho and well in control sociopath when he's talking to the council in front of shepherd yeah. So even from those early clips, like the one we showed earlier, uh, the voice acting, the, the way he speaks feels very in control, almost like even though he's doing bad things, you kind of trust him a little bit. But then like the flip out part and it's just like, OK, this is kind of bonkers, too. Um, so we know the council doesn't take kindly to us accusing their best operative of targeting humanity. Right. No, and to be fair, Shepard also accuses him of being involved in some grand galactic conspiracy. So I understand that Shepard does indeed look like the crazy one here, but how Saren plays the council and how they allow themselves to be played is truly concerning to me. And we have a clip. Read the Eden Prime reports, Ambassador. The testimony of one traumatized dock worker is hardly compelling proof. I resent these accusations. Nihilus was a fellow Spectre and a friend. That just let you catch him off guard. Captain Anderson, you always seem to be involved when humanity makes false charges against me. And this must be your protege, Commander Shepard. The one who let the beacon get destroyed. You're the one who destroyed the beacon. Then you tried to cover it up. Shift the blame to cover your own failures. Just like Captain Anderson. He's taught you well. But what can you expect from a human? Saren despises humanity. That's why he attacked Eden Prime. 
Your species needs to learn its place, Shepard. You're not ready to join the Council. You're not even ready to join the Spectres. He has no right to say that! That's not his decision! Shepard's admission into the Spectres is not the purpose of this meeting. This meeting has no purpose. The humans are wasting your time, Counselor. And mine. Saren's hiding behind his position as a Spectre. You need to open your eyes. What we need is evidence. So far, we've seen nothing. There is still one outstanding issue. Commander Shepard's vision. It may have been triggered by the beacon. Are we allowing dreams into evidence now? How can I defend my innocence against this kind of testimony? How can I defend my innocence against dreams? <laughs> right? So, um, th first of all, thank you to Jaguar550 on YouTube for uploading that. Jaguar is prolific in uploading Mass Effect scenes. Very helpful for Mass Effect uh, people trying to educate themselves. So, some takeaways from that clip. Um, Saren simultaneously plays the victim card, but also paints humanity as being incapable and fumbling, unworthy of the title of Spectres or of joining the Council. Hmm. And yet, hmm. they're also evil and targeting him. So, playing the victim, shifting the blame through racist or speciesist, uh, sounds like, uh, sounds like something. I don't hmm. know. Hmm. I know, hmm. I know someone There's who does a pattern. this. What a pattern. All right. Um, Can't think of their name, though. What else? Um, what other takeaways? Yeah. Yeah. So, Sarah, and it's it's truly scary how skillfully Saren switches from that victim card to also painting humanity as bumbling around and dumb. Uh, but, and this is also this next point that I think is a key takeaway here is, is very intriguing. When you look at this through uh, a communication point of view, and I think for a lot of people who have been educated or trained in communication, you'll see it. Saren takes false offense to some of the things because he knows that he did it. Like, right. keep this in mind. Right, right. Saren knows he's doing these things, but he's taking false offense and he's gaslighting and it's a way to control the narrative. If he can act like he's offended, even oh, yeah. though in the back of his mind, he knows he's doing these things, that it's an actual strategy taught in some marketing and advertising circles, even where you can control a conversation and steer it where you want it to go. Oh, yeah. This, all of all of these tactics are so well known and not hard to do. <laughs> like if you if you're willing to lie and make crap up for your own gain, it's it's actually really easy to do this. And it's super effective. Which is super strange. Uh, it's effective because most people aren't like that by right, nature. Right. So they don't think that other people are like that. Right. Right. Yeah. It's it's crazy. And it's very well written because this does ring true. Right. Like this is a very real thing that can, that happens. Oh, yeah. The, I, you know, I was thinking about this when I was thinking about what writer was primarily responsible for writing these lines for Saren. And I was thinking, man, I wonder if they designed this part of Saren's dialogue after someone they knew in real life. Maybe. <laughs> because, yeah, because it's just it's way too accurate. Like, I know people who will talk like this and you're like, yeah, you're a sociopath. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> like, this is this comes right from the narcissist playbook. And I've been around a number of those people in my life. And uh, yeah, every I dated time, some. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I was even more close to, to some. Uh, we won't go into the details, but um, this is one of those things that when I do come across it in real life, like a friend is going through a situation uh red flags immediately and i'm like 
and, and I, I, pull, I have to pull them aside and be like, hey, this is what's happening. This is a pattern, just so you know. And they're like, and then later they come back to me and they go, oh my God, you were totally right. And it's, yeah, it is a thing. Like, this is very, very real. Yeah. And also scary, the other end of this interaction, the council, they're silently agreeing with him. They're not saying they agree with him because right. they don't want that on the record. Well, they're playing they're playing to the things that they're concerned about. They're concerned about humanity being good or useful or, or even honest with them. They're concerned they have a specter that they trust. They're concerned that they don't have enough information or facts, like he mentions, to actually make a real decision. And so they're going, well, I mean, we got to take him for what he's saying because they don't know. And it. Right. They won't say it, but they won't really reprimand Saren for his clearly racist comments at this point. Right. Because on some level, they kind of agree. Right. Like, exactly. They're playing. That's what he's playing to. If they disagreed, they would say it. Um, And if the alien and human roles were flipped in this situation, we would all, I think, uniformly condemn the council's racism. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, But at this point, the humans haven't proved themselves. So. Right. And and, but that's also the thing that someone would need to prove themselves is also very uh, reminiscent of real world racist behavior. Absolutely. Uh, In this situation, we're also coming off of uh, some conflicts that the humans were in and they did some pretty terrible stuff on their side as well. So I would imagine that there's some caution on that end of it, but probably more than is actually warranted due to the the racist tendencies and all of that. And that kind of takes me to my next point, which is that the council has a horse in this race. Like you just mentioned, the first contact war was not that long ago. The council helped broker the peace there because it was the peacekeeping race, the Turians who were at war with the humans. But so realistically, I think the council isn't calling out Saren too heavily because they have a horse in this race. If it turns out that their own Turian specter, who they've highly decorated throughout the years, was a racist terrorist attacking human colonies, even without the Reapers, this calls into question all the other operations that Saren has been on, including the one with Anderson, their justification for keeping humanity out of the specters to begin with. Right. It raises the question from the grave. Literally, did the council make the right call in accepting Saren's report about what happened with Anderson? Yeah. Yeah. It puts them in question and it starts making their decisions. Uh, they don't want to have to go through that. So it's easier to just say, okay, well, we still trust you. Right. Otherwise, they're eating crow. Right. Um, And not only that, but think of, as Udina would say, the political shitstorm. If it were revealed that the council's golden boy was attacking human colonies. Just 26 years prior to Mass Effect 1's opening, humanity was at war with the galactic peacekeepers here, and tensions are frosty even at the beginning of Mass Effect 1. So this revelation of such magnitude could embolden some warhawks on both sides, but particularly in the Alliance, because unlike in 2157, humanity is now more integrated into the Citadel and Galactic community. So if those Warhawks are emboldened and they're going through all of these different, you know, huge revelation, huge expose, you know, councils, golden specter attacking humanity, state-sponsored terrorism. You know, a war would be much more destructive because of how integrated humanity is with the council and the Citadel, or not the council, the Citadel now. and much more than simple pride, basically the question is, would the council risk a reopened war instead of just siding with their trusted agent? Yeah, 
I, I mean, there's I mean, a, no, there's a lot of stake here. Like this one, this one reaction holds a lot of potential weight. It threatens to upend like basically the entire narrative the council has been uh, giving for the past 26 years. So denying Shepard and embracing Saren is political damage control. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. I mean, this again, it feels it rings true. This feels like real situations, like especially from the outside, because we're like, but we know the truth. It's so simple. But from the inside of that situation on the council, this is a very, very delicate situation. And I'm so glad that you brought that up about like, you know, it, because I was going to say, if anyone's listening to this podcast and they're thinking, well, hold on, that, like this is so you know, banal and extracted from the truth that it's so far, like, why do you even care about all these different factors? Like there's truth and not because this is how real politicians think. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, we, we, there is a reason why on this show we talk about real world history and real world influences on the story. And it's because this, there are moments in the games like this that are Absolutely. Like you could pull them right out of the history books of other situations where people have done very similar things and they ring absolutely true. Yeah. Shepard needed to bring them irrefutable proof that they that they themselves, the counselors, could not possibly wriggle out of or feign ignorance about or just, you know, turn a blind eye to. He needed to shove it in their face so that they had to take action politically. They must. And he didn't have that yet. But he does later in the game. Shepard was, you know, at this point, Shepard was like the trigger happy prosecutor whose perpetrator gets off in a mistrial. Um, yeah. But, you know, later Shepard does find that recording with Tally and brings it forward. They put him on uh, Saren's case. So, I mean, it, it seems like Saren totally understands the council's position that they're they're in too deep and he's using this to his advantage. Right. I think so. Yeah, uh, I think Saren is also an expert manipulator, and I think that he knows he's a good liar, too. And that may explain how he remains the only being to maintain an ongoing personal relationship with a Reaper. Yeah, that's true. Right. <laughs> think about the entire series. Can if, if anyone else can name one single organic being that maintained a personal relationship like mano y mano to a singular reaper, then let me know because even the elusive man didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he would be the next most likely. Um, okay. So uh, let's move forward a little bit. Shepard keeps doing his investigation thing. Right. And then, uh, when do they meet next in person? So Shepard doesn't actually meet in person with Saren until Vermeyer. Yeah. Cause they he, met over that hollow call. Sa yeah. Saren's on like a hollow call. If you're not watching the video uh, on this part of the story. Right. Right. He's on a hollow call with the council, but, but Saren and Shepard don't actually meet face to face until Vermeyer. It, it is that late in the game. And it's also where we get the big evil guy reveal, you know, here's the, here's my master plan. <laughs> like that, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's when we get it. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so we've got another clip here. Check this out. You've seen the vision from the beacons, Shepard. You of all people should understand what the Reapers are capable of. They cannot be stopped. Do not mire yourself in pointless revolt. Do not sacrifice everything for the sake of petty freedoms. The Protheans tried to fight, and they were utterly destroyed. Trillions dead, but what if they had bowed before the invaders? Would the Protheans still exist? A submission not preferable to extinction. 
Do you really believe the Reapers will let us live? So this part goes on, but uh, part of what makes Saren such a good bad guy is that, like, like you said, he's a master manipulator. And I think part of being that is he understands. He's intelligent and he understands all the different sides. Like he understands what the other side wants and what they're more willing to believe based on their hopes and their fears and all of that stuff. So he like he leverages it. Oh, yeah. He, he uh, he's a master tactician, as you can tell. And he applies the rules of combat to dialogue, too. Um, and I have some more thoughts about that. But but first, I want to get I want to listen to the next lines that he says. Now you see why I never came forward with this to the council. We organics are driven by emotion instead of logic. We will fight even when we know we cannot win. And so that that's kind of what I'm talking about. And when and when I first played through this, I remembered learning about Neville Chamberlain and his policy of appeasement leading up to World War Two. Right. But now I think that comparing Saren to Neville Chamberlain is not too apt of a metaphor because it's taking Saren's words at face value, right? Uh, when in reality, I think that Saren has a proven track record at this point in the lore of just being power hungry and saying whatever it is that he needs to say. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Uh, yes. He's first and foremost a manipulator and looking out for himself as opposed to trying to do things for some other goal like you're to you, preserve peace right yeah yeah, yeah. i under and and i also understand that you know inevitably someone's gonna say come on guys you're mentioning this 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 and this and these are retcons you know that part in the lore came out later than mass effect one and then they had to you know they they were writing lore backward and i understand that but i'm also approaching this from a continuous lore timeline point of view you know if you live in this universe um so I also don't um, have an issue with that if it better clarifies things that happened earlier in the story that were ambiguous. Yes. Yes. And and that is a totally valid, you know, writing tactic too. Um in fact, sometimes it feels more natural that way. But think back to the coup attempt from his brother in the comics. He went hand in hand with this even before he understood really what the reapers are or what kind of threat that they posed. And nothing about the Reapers led him to blow up that facility on the mission with Anderson. That was before he even met Sovereign. Yeah. So, you know, that this is my point that, you know, he has just been power hungry even before he was indoctrinated. Right. Right. Yeah. We know we know from those other stories what some of the core aspects of his personality are. Right. So I think the whole hey, let's play nice with the Reapers, it's our only chance to survive, is just another manifestation of Saren practicing expert-level manipulation. Yeah, he's taking advantage of a potential catastrophe to get more of the things that he wants, which is another political tactic that gets used all the time. Yeah, never waste a good crisis. Right. Okay, so, um, I mean, you bring up the Reapers here, What's right? What's their side of this? Like, uh, is are they taking advantage of this through him? Like, how is that working? I, I yeah, I think that's a you know fantastic point. So, Saren, um, we've been we've been basically accusing Saren of being the manipulator here, right? Right, but we know um, that he is also being manipulated, right? Like, there's like there's two layers to this. 
Exactly. So because Saren's speech here and his talks with the council are after he has met and incorporated, uh, met Sovereign rather, and incorporated Reaper Tech into his own body, I think, you know, he's probably indoctrinated throughout the entirety of Mass Effect 1. He may have been brutal before, but now he's brutal and and extremely cunning, and that is exceedingly dangerous um, because he was power hungry, and now, you know, okay, Saren is manipulating us, or is it Saren in any way? Like, is this, are we even talking to Saren, right? right? And the other scary thing is how we learn in the lore what life feels like from anyone who is fully indoctrinated. And this is, I'm, I'm reading through Mass Effect uh, Redemption right now. It's the third novel in the Drew Carpishan trilogy. And for those who don't know, Drew Carpishan is one of the founding lore fathers of Mass Effect. Uh, and so Carpishan writes that Paul Grayson, is, who's a character in the book, he's watching as these Reapers use his body and his own voice to their will. And he's forced to just like watch them do it. Like a captive in his own mind or like his mind is captive in his own body. Right. Like, so do you think that Saren is going through the same thing here? I think it's possible. Um, His indoctrination seems to be steadier and at a lower intensity over a longer period of time than Paul Grayson's. And we know from the lore that indoctrinating a subject too quickly leaves them physically and mentally inept, incapable of, you know, carrying out even more advanced tasks than moving big brick from point A to point B. And we know the Reapers needed Saren for more than just physical labor. So maybe not. Maybe Saren is kind of more aware and more in control, or at least maybe he thinks he is. Or it's like a subconscious manipulation of him that he's unaware of. Like they've been planting uh, things that he wants in his consciousness or in subconsciousness. And then he acts on it the way that they would hope he would act on it without fully being controlled. Right. Maybe he's getting certain granules of ideas in his mind where he thinks it's his own, but it's not. Right. Um, And then, you know, he's running with them. But I think that by the time that we meet him in Mass Effect 1, especially after he mentions more upgrades with Reaper Tech, he is quite far along in this indoctrination. So I think it's possible that by the end of Mass Effect 1, he's indeed watching his own body fulfill the Reaper's demands. That's so terrifying. That's so creepy. Like, like, yeah. and, and here's my case in point. Let's watch his final conversation with Shepard with this in mind. You've lost. You know that, don't you? In a few minutes, Sovereign will have full control of all the Citadel systems. The relay will open. The Reapers will return. I've still got a few tricks up my sleeve. You survived our encounter on Vermeyer, but I've changed since then. Improved. Sovereign has upgraded me. You let Sovereign implant you? Are you insane? I suppose I should thank you, Shepard. After Vermeyer, I couldn't stop thinking about what you said. About Sovereign manipulating me. About indoctrination. The doubts began to eat away at me. Sovereign sensed my hesitation. I was implanted to strengthen my resolve. Now my doubts are gone. I believe in Sovereign completely. I understand that the Reapers need organics. Join us, and Sovereign will find a place for you, too. Sovereign's controlling you through your implants. Don't you see that? The relationship is symbiotic. 
organic and machine intertwined, a union of flesh and steel, the strengths of both, the weaknesses of neither. I am a vision of the future, Shepard, the evolution of all organic life. This is our destiny. Join Sovereign and experience a true rebirth. Sovereign hasn't won yet. I can stop it from taking control of the station. Step aside and the invasion will never happen. We can't stop it, not forever. You saw the visions. You saw what happened to the Protheans. The Reapers are too powerful. Some part of you must still realize this is wrong. You can fight this. Maybe you're right. Maybe there is still a chance for... Sovereign is too strong. I'm sorry. It is too late for me. It's not over yet. You can still redeem yourself. Goodbye, Shepard. Thank you. So we mentioned uh, Star Wars stuff earlier, Darth Vader and Palpatine there. I mean, clearly it's not directly the same thing, but there is a lot of Star Wars in this scene, particularly this whole oh, yeah. the dark side has corrupted me. No, the Reapers have corrupted me. I'm no longer in control. I'm too far in. I can't change it. Oh, but maybe I'm not. Oh, what can I do about it? Like that oh, is very Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so this is the Paragon dialogue choice where you can kind of try and, and snap Saren out of it. And I feel like there is a definitive moment in that conversation yeah. where where Saren takes control of his mind again. Right. Right. He he reemerges like it, there is a very f- clear line between these are all the things I'm supposed to be saying because I am being controlled. And then all of a sudden Saren's personality comes back out and he's like, oh, God, OK, no, maybe I don't have control. And well, I'm, I'm like comparing this to the way that that Karpshin describes it in a later book uh, with indoctrination, like literally being that prisoner in your own mind and you're not even saying the things. Yeah. But but it's using your voice. And I, I seriously start to wonder, it, it feels somewhat like for most of that conversation, we are talking to Saren's body, but it's the Reapers who are replying to us. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The Reapers are in control. And then all of a sudden he kind of comes back out. Right. Like right. he reemerges yes. and takes a little bit of control back and then it's done. Right. And I'm not being metaphorical. I mean, the Reapers are literally referring to themselves in third person right. Right. and right. the Reapers are literally trying to corrupt Shepard now. Right. That's what's happening. Right. Um, and so it's the same kind. And, and here's another reason why I think this this speech from. Saren right here is the same kind of demotivating arrogance. The all your hope is lost. Give in that we get from Sovereign. It's the same kind of rhetoric we get from Sovereign directly on Ilos. It's like Sovereign hacked into Saren's Facebook account and is messaging people like <laughs> it is me. I am Saren. Hello. Right. I need money. Right. Right. <laughs> Nobody calls me by my full name. Hmm. This is suspicious. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that's absolutely what's happening here. Yeah. So and then, you know, there's the whole 
you know, and he in like Saren, it's it's clear that Saren takes control either metaphorically or or literally of his own mind and basically says, I know I will not have control of my mind for very long. Right. And that, um, that's why he shoots himself is because he's going, yes. OK, uh, he 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 probably realizes how hard he'd had struggle internally to even get that moment where he was now in control of himself again. And he probably also realized that that was never going to come back. So he had one choice, and that was to take this one brief moment and end himself so that the Reapers would not use him anymore. And he also frees himself from this prison by now being dead, which is better than being captive in his own body. Yeah, it's and that's why I said in this tweet that I put out before we went live here is that if this is true, I feel like there's a whole section of the fan base that maybe hasn't before and maybe they will now. They'll kind of feel bad for Saren because, I mean, if that is what's happening inside Saren's mind, I feel terrible. That's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, although he wasn't a good guy before, he yeah, the question of like, when does he actually really lose control isn't easy to determine. So that might go back quite a while. Right. Um, so if Saren was, you know, indeed trapped inside his own mind and then exerted just enough of this remaining willpower to kill himself, uh, then that just adds to this immense tragedy of his story and how it ends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, poor Saren. I guess that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, where are we going next week? So um, next week, I actually just got confirmation, Um, maybe not next week, but in the near future, we will be covering the music of Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, and one of the, uh, you know, famous guests of ours, pipe man, uh, has, has agreed to, uh, set up the, you know, lecture that we will get some more lessons about mass effect music. You know, the mass effect music episode was one of our most popular. Yeah. People love that stuff. Absolutely. So Uh, that's exciting. That's super cool. All right. Well, make sure to tune in for future episodes to find out when that's happening. Two weeks from now is our patron chat because that's the last Friday of the month on the 27th, I believe, uh, 26th uh so come join us for that there's still time to sign up if you want to do that and sam what other stuff do you have going on i am streaming more mass effect of my personal canon playthrough i am in mass effect 2 it is modded mass effect 2 so you might see some things you're not too familiar with uh but i'm streaming that every weekend on saturdays um probably around like anywhere between noon and 3 p.m pacific that's three to six uh on eastern time so give me a follow on twitch you'll get the notification when i go live um you can find me on twitch at in seven the legend same handle for twitter yeah go check out his stream uh, go check out some of my other shows. I do a bunch of other lore casts about the Lord of the Rings and Fallout and Starfield and a bunch of other stuff. All that can be found at robotsradio.net or you can just look it up on the podcast you're listening to right now. And Sam and I will be back next week. Thank you to everybody who shows up for the live show. We absolutely love you being here and seeing all the comments and giving us ideas even while we're we're talking about these episodes live. Uh, we really do appreciate all of your support. All right. Have a wonderful rest of your week and we will see you next time. Stay safe out there. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com.